just wanted to share an encouragement before I even get started this morning. And maybe someone needs to hear this. Maybe it'll bless them, that kind of a need. All that God wants from us is our obedience. That's all. And it doesn't mean that because we're obedient, everything's going to go good afterwards. But I'll tell you, it'll be a whole lot worse if we don't. (laughs) Is that ringing a bell? You might look around and say, well, the Lord told me to do this. And look at the mess. What am I doing here? I can't even walk away with this looking good and everybody bowing down and saying, oh, thank you, you did such a good job. Forget that. Your obedience was enough. Don't look at earthly circumstances to know that you've done the right thing. And you can stand on that. You can stand on the fact that you did what God wanted you to do. When we left here, we went right straight into the senior pastorate. You know, I wasn't a real pastor until then. And so, and so the fun began, right? Well, it is, so, it is so good to have all of those years behind us. And as I was speaking with our friend Larry Kent this morning, so good to see you guys. And I told him, I said... It is so good, so good to look back. No way would I want to go back there. That's not even kingdom thinking. But it's so good to have people here that were there then. God bless you for your faithfulness. Hallelujah. Well, this morning I want to speak to you about the great I am. Is that okay? The great I am. Father, I pray that the words of your servant go and bless your people this morning. Lord, may I have your words and not mine. Lord, I did not make any small thing of what I'm to do this morning. But God, I need your help. I want to thank you, Lord, for those that have prayed, those that are praying even now. And I pray, Lord, may a word of power be released to bless, to lift up, And Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know it's always good. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Going back into Scripture, I hope that you don't depend on verses being up there to know what's going on. Um, I don't. I hope you don't. It was about a month ago that Vicky and I were, were parked over in Charlevoix. I say parked because I never know when we're going to get in the car and go. For example, this morning, uh, Cross Point Church over in Charlevoix under Pastor Mike Way. I want to give him a big thank you for, you know, when he sees me go out the door that he prays for me. And he knows that we're... We're going to a place to share the word of the Lord, to help somebody out, to stand in for someone. And, and uh, I don't, I, I've always despised uh, the old term pulpit fill among ministers. We don't, this ain't pulpit filling. This is heart filling. This is calling filling. And so coming over here, 
it has been, it has been a, a good, good thing to come here and share this word. It was, uh, it was Charles Finney that over 150, 60 years ago, he said this. Someone complained because they heard him preach the same message more than once. <laughs> to Charles Finney. He preached with fire. He preached with power. He preached with signs and wonders following. And he said this. He says, if you have ever cut down a tree, do you throw the axe away? He says, no. You sharpen it and go cut another tree down. And there was a, a pastor some many years ago. He, he would preach the same message Sunday after Sunday. This new pastor comes in. He preaches the same message all told 36 Sundays in a row. Until finally a disgruntled board member came up to him and said, is this the only message you have? Did you ever think of preaching another one? He says, I will when you do what I'm telling you. Get this one right and I'll go on to another one. I'm going to share something with you that uh, I had a, a privilege of, of sharing over at Pastor Mike's church. We are, we are there. We have been pastoring all over the state of Michigan, upstate, downstate, all over the place. And, it's, and sometimes he sends us to lonely outposts in northern Emmett County was the last one. We were there for a couple years and uh, helping churches in trouble. It's a very apostolic work. And, uh, and there are times when, you know, like the Macedonian call, we preachers say, it was a Macedonian call. I don't get that for missions. I get that for home missions. And because we have need of people to go and help each other, we help each other. We help the body of Christ. And so we're over in Charlevoix, and the Lord says, I want you to speak to the people on my name. And I said, which one? And he said, I am. God doesn't have to explain himself. He's not obligated to do that. And so I want to speak to you this morning on, on at least one. I don't know how far this is going to go. I don't know what's going on, but I won't, I won't go beyond your normal uh, allotted seat time. Uh, but we'll just see how it goes. Amen. Amen. The great I am has been said through the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, over 700 times. So if you think you got a few of them memorized, try a few more. Over 700, there's over 500 in the Old Testament, I am's, and over 200 in the New Testament. And I wonder how many of them are repeated, because I certainly haven't exhausted that search. But I know this, that if we knew all 700 and they were all an I am of a different facet of God's nature and His character, that when we get to heaven and see Him face to face, there'll be a whole lot more. He's unsearchable. He is wonderful. Who can fathom the depth, the heights, the length, the width of God Himself? if that were possible. And so I want to take you back a few years and, and let's go back to Abram. And we're going to be in the section of Abram's life in Genesis 14. And this comes at a time when there is a conflict. And this I see 
in Abram's life that even though he was called to a life of peace, doesn't mean that you're not going to be in a fight now and then. But you know who wins. All he wants us to do is show up. The battle is the Lord's. And this comes at a time when, when Abram and Lot have separated. Remember, the, the land wasn't enough to contain their size, their wealth, their riches, their herds. And the shepherds were fighting with one another. And, and comes a, a dividing. And, and, and the, the, they were fighting each other and saying, you know, your cattle are over here on my grass. Get out of here. And it wasn't working out very well. Your, your herds are drinking before my herds are drinking. And there wasn't much water there. And so a conflict was going on. And Abram just settles the issue. And he says to his nephew, Lot, his brother's son. And he spoke to him as he would his own brother. And treated him as his own brother, Lot. And he looks at Lot and he says, he says, you do this, I'll give you first dibs. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go and, and I'll, I'll stay away. And Lot said, okay. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw the plains of the Zoar, the plains that were well watered. He chose the easy life. And Abram chose the life that was given to him. And you remember that what was given to him was, was this. The promised land was his. His. And the Lord says, I don't want you settling down in one place. I want you to walk in it. From border to border, walk in it. And so he did. And in fact, you go back to uh, Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 says this in that great faith chapter. He says that, that he was always moving because he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Where the light never ceases to shine. Looking for that enduring city. And he never found it. That's why he lived in a tent. Lot wasn't looking for that. And so he was contented to move to Sodom. And live in wickedness. It doesn't mean that he was unrighteous because it said that he was vexed in his soul. How could you live in the righteousness under Abram and then move into a city of wickedness? When I get to heaven, I'll look at him and say, what were you thinking? Could I just pick your brain for a minute? Well, guess what happened? He lived with a king that was wicked. He lived in a city that's wicked. I don't have to go into the history of it. You know, by the very name of the city, it was wicked. And so through all of that, there were five kings of that area that were ruled by the kings of Syria and Babylon. And they exacted treasury from them taxes they came in with their armies and said we'll let you live here oh your land it's ours now well they rebelled those five kings rebelled and said we're going to be on our own now and here's lot he's caught up in all of this remember he chose to live there he stayed outside the city and then the next time you see him mentioned he's inside the city and now he has a house and and he's got daughters and and 
fill in the blanks, you know the story. And so what happened is those kings arose and they wanted to fight and there was going to be a battle. We're talking, we're talking tens of thousands of men in an army that were trained to kill, maim, men, women, children. Even more wicked than the kings, the five. While the four were going to go against the five. Okay, lay that thought aside for a moment. Even though we have come to believe and know and embrace the word of God as being, that has the theme of the salvation of man. Hallelujah. There's also another theme that goes from Genesis to Revelation that sometimes we overlook. Sometimes. And some people don't even, because they haven't read the Bible enough, and it's a shameful thing not to know the Bible when we have it. So many have died for it. But that, that theme is this, deliverance. It's deliverance. Cover to cover, deliverance. In fact, you look up that word salvation in the Old Testament and it gives you three different meanings. Saved, healed, delivered. <laughs> it's wonderful. I don't know how many of you remember Pastor Bob Moody, but uh, I practically grew up in ministry with him in this area. And he said that to me. He says, Rip, he says the theme of the Bible. Oh, we know Jesus. He's on it page to page. The crimson scarlet thread that runs from page to page. He says, but the theme is deliverance. Now, knowing that, do we also know this? That there are going to be some times where we are involved in setting someone free. We can do that by calling upon heaven in intercession. The Old Testament meaning for intercession is this. It means to impinge. To intercede means to impinge. Now, I'm not a big vocabulary guy. That's why I can speak so well to people and not to universities. <laughs> I had to look that up. I'm in a Strong's and it goes impinge. What's that mean? And so I go to my dictionary, and this is back when we turned pages instead of clicking on our phones. And I'm looking, and I thank God for the Blue Letter Bible. Man, it's such a great resource. Anyways, I'm looking. What does impinge mean? It means this, to sharply collide. When you intercede, you sharply collide. I mean, you smack right into it. Have you ever been in a car wreck and you were going so fast and all of a sudden nothing, no fast? I mean, just boom. You know, we talk about zero to 60 as gearheads, but then we don't think about the 60 to zero part and... And or four-wheel drive. I got a four-wheel drive. I can go right on through this snow and ice, but can you stop? Two different dynamics. When you impinge, you sharply collide with the forces of darkness that put people in bondage and chains. And if you get a piece of this, let it drive you into that place of rescuing the perishing. There's great violence going on in the heavenlies that we don't even see. Except now and then, 
when we are called into action. When all we had to do was like, yep, the Lord spoke to me. Why do you have to speak to you? You probably just should have opened your eyes. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I've seen too much over the years, but, you know, people would come to you and say, look what God showed me. I said, God showed you? You opened your eyes and saw it. I'm talking to veterans of the word. Intercede. My pastor, Pastor Mike, and I say this because I want to, not to lift him up. He wouldn't. He said, shh, don't tell anybody. There's a woman in our church. She's a new convert. She had some demons to cast out. And he was there last night doing just that. Thank God for technology. I get a text. He goes, Rip, I'm over at this house. And, and would you please pray? I'm here casting out some really stubborn devils right now. I'm going, yes. I got out of the house. I went back into my, my little shop. And, and that's where I intercede. That's my quiet place. That's my, it's not very quiet when I go back there. But people, when we see the great I am mentioned it's usually, I won't say always because I haven't seen them all yet. It's usually at a time when deliverance is taking place, there's a battle taking place, and there's a conflict taking place. And the Lord steps in either before or after, and He says, This is who I am. We serve a God that loves to show Himself. We can't see him, and he knows that, duh. He knows that we cannot see him. We can have visions and dreams of the Lord Jesus Christ, but no one has seen the Father and lived. I saw Jesus when I was four years old. That'll change your life. Either you'll be desperately miserable under conviction if you're not serving the Lord, or you're going to be joyful and say, yes, God, let's go get some. That's me. I was saved when I was 23. And my wife was two years younger than me. Do the math. We were young people and God instantly called me into ministry. Whew. Petoskey Assembly of God. We're from the north. But I got to tell you, there's fighting going on in places where we cannot see. There are people that are standing and wanting others to stand with them in battle, in sickness, in bondage, or the unsaved. Those three things. The kingdom of God, Jesus said this, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God moves ahead violently and the violent lay a hold of it. And we'll do everything we can to water it down so people aren't alarmed by that. You know, we... We try to save people to some kind, of a, some kind of a salvation that doesn't involve any kind of unpleasant things. Same people watch unpleasant movies. Oh, God help us. And so here's what happens. Let me pick up Scripture and read this to you. And I'm looking at verse 10 of Genesis 14. 
Now the valley of Sedum was full of tar pits. Isn't that where the dinosaurs died? Never mind. I have, I have adult ADD. You think it's bad in kids. When the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, this is important, when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, they were on the run. That's what judgment does. They were being judged by two violently well-numbered, well-armed armies. God was using the wicked to judge the wicked. Full of tar pits, and when they fled, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. And those four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. In Sodom, not outside Sodom. Not, let's see how close we can get to Sodom and not be in it. Too late. They carried away Lot and his possessions. Lot. Lot was wealthy. But you know, money doesn't do any good if you don't have any place to spend it, right? Huh? So he wanted to go to a city, as wicked as it was, to have influence with his money. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol, and Aner, all whom were allied with Abram. And when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, this is what Abram did. This is how he responded. He called out the 318. They were trained men, born in, under his household, under his name, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. And during the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. And he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and all the other people. And then verse 17 is an odd thing. You know, I'm reading to you just for readability. I'm sorry if it, it isn't your, your, your flavor that I'm, I'm reading this from. This is from the NIV. And there are times when the NIV just washes down what the King James says. The King James says, King James says this, that after Abram returned from defeating Ketelormer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out. Now, it just says defeat, right? Let me, let me help you with this a little bit. The King James says slaughter. We're talking tens and thousands of men of the most evil and wicked, most powerful armies in that whole entire earthly region went up against five little kings who wanted to not pay them taxes. Five little kings. Sometimes things don't make sense. So, you only know it's the right thing to do. 
If only Abram would have sat down and thought it over before he took off, right? Wrong. Don't overthink something. When God is calling you to do something, don't overthink it. Just do it. 318 whooped up and slaughtered, slaughtered tens of thousands. And we don't have that number, but I'm thinking it was that many. I got that from a commentary, by the way. I'll pass that along to you. But I'd always known this, that there was not a man that died of the 318 that's reported. That's amazing. But what happens after that, in the same contextual moment, is even more incredible and very important to know a few things about here. I want to talk to you about discernment. Get into that a little bit in a moment. But here's what happens. It says, After Abram returned from defeating Ketalomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom, the king of Sodom is there. He ran away. Scared rabbit. He ran and hid himself rather than standing and fighting. No wonder Lot was carried off. Keep that in mind. Came out to meet him in the valley. The king's valley. And then verse 18 is the most mysterious of, of trying to explain who this person is that came out to meet him. After the slaughter, the bodies are still laying there. And out comes Melchizedek. Now you can go into Hebrews 7 and get to know who this Melchizedek is, verses 1 and 2. How many of you have studied this before? Ah, he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. Who is Melchizedek? That's the pre-incarnate Christ. That is the pre-incarnate Son of God. He was called the Son of Righteousness. He was called the, the King, the Son of Peace. How could it be anyone else? It's God. And He's coming out to have the first recorded instance of communion. <laughs> Imagine what was going on in that moment when the pre-incarnate Son of God is bringing His own blood and His own, and his own body on, on a platter before Abram and says, we need to eat and drink. And they are, they are they're having the most holy of moments. Let's read on a little bit here. It says, He was the priest of God Most High. He was, wasn't he? He was the one who ripped the veil in two. There's nothing but a high priest that could do that with any kind of righteousness and authority. We know this. The Son of God's hands were all over this section of Scripture. I love this. He was priest of God most high and he blessed Abram. Blessed him. 
He said, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high who delivered who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tithe of everything. Okay. Here's where it takes a twist of events. Something very, something very awkward. Awkward meaning things that don't fit. This is where discernment comes in. Is when you look at things that don't fit. Something's not right. Oh man, obey that little flag we call it. That's called Holy Ghost discernment. Now we got two types of discernment that operate. The first one is the discernment that we have to know right from wrong because we're a child of God. We have that. We don't have to go looking for more. We can pray into that. Lean on that and then act in faith. Even on things that we look at and say, something's not right here. I just, you know, back in the day we called it, I just didn't have a piece about it, so I didn't go that way. All of a sudden there's a mention of a third person. You know, three's a crowd. It applies right here. It says, the king of Sodom said to Abram. Now wait a minute. He's butting in. He's interrupting. Bera is interrupting. That's his name. Bera, the king of Sodom, is interrupting the son of God and his servant, Abram. Interrupting. And he goes, and he says, he says, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Well, hello. Who is the administrator in the middle of this? Who's being bossy? Those people didn't belong to Abram. Wasn't for him to give. And he's coming off this wonderful meeting. There's not even a word that could fit that. <laughs> I, I look at that and I call it a glory buzz. Can you imagine meeting Jesus in the Old Testament? Meeting the Son of God before he became Jesus, before he was born, before the advent. And he's standing there sharing with you food and drink from heaven. And then he blesses you. And all of a sudden, he, you know, when Melchizedek goes back, probably disappeared as mysteriously as he reappears, certainly contextually and in a literal sense, all of a sudden you have this wicked king. And what is he first, what is he first concerned with? Number one, running the show because he wants the people. Who does the devil want more than anything else? What does he want more than anything else? He wants souls. And in fact, that's one of the, one of the uh, literal renderings is that he didn't say, give me the people. He says, I want the souls. I want souls. Now, Abram knew what was happening. You know what Bera means? Bera, the king of Sodom. You know what Bera means? It means this, son of evil. That's his name. 
son of evil is standing not too far away watching what's going on with Melchizedek, the son of God, prefigured. Okay, you write that down, prefigured. And is standing with Abram. You cannot be in a holy moment and not recognize evil when you walk away from that. Have you ever been to a place like that where the Lord in his glory has, a, has just come down and flooded a place? It could be in church. It could be a special meeting. It could be. And I, I've had this, you know, wonderful, wonderful experience through the years, different points and places and time. And I, when, I, when I came home, it was like, oh, I feel like the Friendship 7 capsule coming back into the atmosphere. I've got to re-enter. And it's bumpy and it's hot. And that's when, with the calling that God has blessed me with, and I try so hard to be worthy of, along, along with what I just had a refueling from him, to try not being mean to people. And sometimes, I can't help it, but people are going to be, you're mean. I need a pastor who's nice. I don't like a harsh pastor. Well, it's like, hello, get rid of the devil. Quit being a hypocrite. I'm here to save your soul. And sometimes that happens, but I'm looking at the scripture and I'm remembering those times because what we're going to read, you're going to see Abram react. And he reacts out of that glory realm. He's heard God. He's had a calling from God. He pleased God because he walked in faith. Without faith, you can't please him. How much of that pleasing you want to pull back on when you don't believe? The two don't go together. Just like here. Something's wrong here. <laughs> Abram, in verse 22, says to the king of Sodom, he says to the son of evil, with a raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to them. But for me, no. And to Aner, Ashkel, and Mamre, the ones that came along and fought with him, he says, let them have their share. Talk about stepping on Abram's toes. Do you see the offense? In so many churches, we'd look at that and say, oh, that was harsh. That's because the violent have not yet laid a hold of it. Hmm? And that's the purpose of this whole message. Is when you see what Abram saw, when you've been through that violence to rescue someone, you can say from the days of John the Baptist until now that the kingdom moves ahead with force and violence and the violent lay a hold of it. That laying a hold, oh. i got to compare it to 
to hop in a train. There's some things in life you better not casually do. You know, it's not really complicated. If you're going to hop a train, you've got to come up to speed or you better have a really good grip. Simple physics is working against you. I grew up around trains. I love trains. Trains are so cool. Petoskey, down, downtown, right down by the waterfront where the train lines came through all the time. We'd lay stuff on the track, watch it get mashed and, you know, pennies and stuff. We'd you know, we got rich one time and laid a nickel on there, returned a bottle to the store and, and got a nickel. And anyways, I know what it is to have the force of a train come by. People, that's the kingdom of God on a very understated earthly level. Do you understand we pray When we walk with Him, even when we don't feel that wonderful glory buzz, huh, that's where your faith tech... Uh, God does not have to explain what He's going to do in your life tomorrow. He's not obligated. He just wants you to be obedient. And here goes Abram. Here goes Abram. He says, I don't want a bit of what you have. I don't want any of it. I wonder how Obera took that. Discernment. Number one, the son of evil, the devil, Satan, our adversary. Sons were his focus. That should be, Abram caught it. We should catch that. He's always after souls. That's all he cares about. He wants your kids and your grandkids. Thank God for praying grandmas and grandpas. Grandpas who share words of wisdom of the Lord. Number two. He wasn't even thankful. Is there anything in there where Barra says, that was awesome, Abram. I can't believe it. I'm sure glad that Lot lived with us and, and Lot had an uncle like you. He was standing in the presence of Melchizedek, son of righteousness, and here was the son of evil. You don't think a little bit of a battle is going on and Abram's standing right in the middle of it. There was never a thank you. Be careful when you have those that you have shared things with and they don't thank you. Do know this, that they're going to have a rough life thereafter. What happened at Sodom. Lot went back to live. Man, after that, I'd want a tent somewhere. And hellfire came down not long after. Judgment. So beware of those 
that are not thankful. I love these little cute Facebook things that go around. There's the 40 days of thankfulness or whatever it is or however many weeks. And, you know, today I am thankful for this and today I'm thankful for that. And, and I'm, I'm avidly on Facebook anyways, but I look at that. And if you give me a friend request, I'll never mind. Uh, I, I look, I look at, at certain people that do that and I just grin. I say, Lord, I'm so glad to see this. So glad to see this. Just make sure that we are thankful to him. Not to luck, not to coincidence, to coinky-dinky-ants. It doesn't work. Oh, you just got so lucky. I had someone say that to me one time. Used to go to our church. They just left, disgruntled, you know, as they're going out the door. And, um, <laughs> and later on, oh, you were just lucky. Oh, okay. Just, re, just, just threw your cards out on the table. Just revealed who you were all about. Thankfulness. Gratitude. And I sense that all over here. I'm not preaching to any one person here, okay? Maybe it's for out, out there on, on uh, internet land, but I just want to share that with you. When you are walking with someone and you, and you have done something from them and they're ungrateful for you, don't be bitter towards them because they're going to have a really rough life from there forward. Bera was another one. And don't enjoy any judgment that comes their way, but it's coming their way. And maybe not too long after that, I have seen that, and I have struggled with the temptation. These are the people, God, that, that, that stood against me in my ministry. These are the ones that, and I, and I go through what Paul said, and Lord, can I say what Paul said? I'm like, no, I can't do that, because I, oh, I don't hurt for them. The ungrateful are part of 2 Timothy 3, talking about the end times and what people are going to be like. And the ungrateful is right there, it's smack in the middle of it. They're ungrateful people. The ungrateful people are bitter. Beware of that. Do nothing but show kindness to them. No, you don't have to give them anymore or do anymore, but just show kindness to them. Because their road is going to get rough really quick. And they'll continue blaming things. Be careful of that. Be careful of that. Discernment. There's a lot of things to, to chew on for ex in discernment. And in this short little, short little story here. <sighs> and then after it was all over, look at, look at 15 verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. In a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. If you've been through some stuff and you're standing, I know that you are grateful for coming through it and you have found this that he is your shield. Did that not match what he'd just been through? I was with your 318 men. I just asked you to show up, that's all. 
I handled everything else. None of you fell by the sword, but oh, by the thousands, the others did. And they turned and ran back to Assyria, Babylon, into that area. Gone. Where are your enemies, Abram? Abrams, I'm looking at you. Where are your enemies? Where? He is your shield. And then he says, I am your very great, your exceedingly great reward. Did that not fit the moment? His reward was not of earthly goods from a wicked king. He didn't go in there to plunder the place because that's not what Abram does. He's not one of those bands of, bands of bandits and he belongs to the son of peace, to the king of peace, Salem, Salem, Shalom. Now, Kizedek knew who he was going to see and Abram knew who was coming to him to have communion. And that's what they did. And then came a blessing. And then came, came a little kick in the pants to the son of evil. Get out of here. Keep your eyes open. Because when you least expect it, the enemy is there. He savors the things of men. Savors. It means he, oh, savor. Cooking a steak and you're, and you're savoring. Savoring the smell of something cooking. It's like, oh, that's the devil. Watch out for him. He prowls around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may. Yep. Goes all the way back to the garden. All the way back to the garden when the Lord was looking at Adam and Eve and, 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 and Satan and he was handing down the curses for sin. And he looks at Satan and he says, you will crawl on your belly all the days of your life and you will eat dirt, dust. He looks at Adam, and among the things that come in Adam's way, and he looks at Adam, and one of the things he says, he says, and you will die, for you are dust. Did you put the two together yet? Discernment. I know. I'm almost done. I've gone a ways. I've fed you with a little bit of a hose this morning, but my wife says, don't go real fast. I got a story about that in a second. We are dust. And Satan eats dust. So when you go out of here, know this. Don't fear. Do not fear anything. Only God. Only God. If God before you, who can be against you? Who? It, no one. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Precious. God is so good. God is so good. Yes, I have to slow down. Funny story. Over in, this is when we pastored over in Charlevoix, over there for seven years. And, and uh, one of my sermons is not being a horn honker. 
Don't be a horn honker. Are you a horn honker? And that's how I opened. Are you a horn honker? Reacting in anger to everybody all the time, you know. And Don't be a horn honker. And somebody in the congregation came up to me, dear sweet sister in the Lord. She comes up to me and she says, I thought you said, are you a whoremonger? I don't know what's before you this week. Every Sunday in church, every Sunday, in a sweet, simple gesture, I hold my hands out and I say, Lord, I'm yours. This is the first fruits of my offering to you. I don't know what's going to happen to me this week. But Lord, today, I'm doing what's right. The same way with Abram. Today I'm doing what's right. You might not have everything figured out. That's what faith is all about. Do the right thing. How you do that right thing is never subservient to doing the right thing. Because people will say, oh, you did it the wrong way, or you said it the wrong way, or you shouldn't have done it that way. No, you did what was right, and that's what really matters. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And if I could have some help up here on the keyboard, I'd really appreciate that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just give them thanks for a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The great I am. Oh, Lord. Someday, we're going to stand before you after a really big hug. Maybe a hug that lasts 10,000 years. What does it matter? It's eternity. But God, just stand before you and behold your face. Father, if there's someone here, would you just tap them on the shoulder this morning? Maybe, maybe they've had a really rough week and, and things just didn't go right. But Lord, would you please, please tell them it's going to be okay. That only stand with you. It's going to be okay. Sickness and illness is all around us. Lord, as surely as you have died for us and unto salvation, you shed your blood at the same moment for healing. Lord, we receive that this morning, and we go back to praying in faith for those who need to have a touch this morning. Lord, if there's one here that needs to give their life to you, oh, I pray that this is their day for an encounter with the great I am. Jesus, thank you for saving. And maybe there's someone here that needs to say, I need to ground myself again. I need to go back and do those things that I once did.
doing the first things again. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name, that simple act of obedience, how it pleases you, Lord. And Lord, just to be involved in that moment, Lord, is just wonderful. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, first I want to ask, is there anybody here the Lord's been tugging on your heart for you to turn to Him and give Him your life at this very moment. Would you raise your hand? Would that be you? Is there anyone here? Maybe there's someone here this morning and we're going to have a, a time at the altar here for those that need to be healed. Is, is there someone here you're facing a sickness. You're facing an injury. You're facing a surgery. You're facing things that you don't have an answer for. But God does. James 5 says to let them call for the elders of the church. I can't come and ask you, but you can come up and ask me or ask someone else that is an elder function here. to anoint with oil, lay on of hands. And the prayer, the faith of the person praying, the prayer of the righteous, that person will be healed. So I want to ask that in the next couple minutes here before we leave. Is there anybody here that you want to come and be prayed for? I don't want anybody leaving here saying, you know what, I, I really need a touch from God. Would you please pray for me? And, and, and have not have a moment to do just that. Would that. If that's you, would you come up here? I'll come right down here and I'll meet you here. 